Welcome back to Quarantine and Chill with your most amazing podcast host in the world. Um, okay, let's not, let's not say in the world. Uh, welcome back to Quarantine and Chill with the most amazing podcast host in Luxembourg. Uh, I mean, that's also a little bit, uh, I don't know. Okay, let's just <laughs> say, well, uh, with, the, with the most amazing podcast host in my family. Are we, are we, my, my brother is also a podcast host. All right. Welcome back to Quarantine and Chill with a podcast host. Uh, uh, you know, I'm back. Uh, I'm here with two friends and we are on the 13th of March, 14th of March, uh, 14th of March. And um, for the future listeners that are going to, you know, listen to this in uh, one or two years, maybe they're going to go back to listen to all my episodes when uh, this podcast will be famous. Um you know, just to give a little bit of context, we are uh, still in the COVID situation. Um, I think I think we've been in this COVID situation. I think it's been like seven years at this point, or at least it felt like it. Uh, and the global warming is, you know, still manageable. Uh, well, not really, I guess. Uh, overpopulation is okay. Uh, all right, I'm getting a bit depressed. Bye. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs> right, let's maybe jump in and uh, jump ahead and introduce our guests that are, are gonna counterbalance our neg- my negativity and you know pessimistic vibe today. Um, I am so happy to be talking with two really great friends of mine, super smart. One of them is an aerospace engineer. The other one is a wannabe engineer. Uh, <laughs> well, he's an astrophysic, but he also wants to be an engineer for some reason. Give it up for Lorenzo and Pablo. Hi, Filippo. Hey. It's a great honor to be here. Can't wait to yeah, get started. Yeah, thank you. This, uh, I was very flattered by the description that you gave me. Oh. <laughs> no, you, Too kind. You're really, you're both very smart. And, you know, the, the main reason why we're doing this podcast, I mean, we're going to, I mean, first of all, let's introduce the topic. Do you, one of you, do you want to talk about um, what we're going to talk about in this episode? Uh, yeah, sure, I can do that. Yeah, we're, we, we're here to talk about space. Space, uh, space exploration, advances in space, and uh, anything really. Anything, any questions you might have. Nice. Pablo, yeah, do you so, anything else? Yeah, we've asked, we've asked uh, some people some question, uh, to send us some questions. <clears throat> and so we're going to be listening to those later and trying to answer them as best as we can with the expertise that a degree has given us. Nice. Yeah. No, very, very well said. I think also like the main reason, I guess, why we're doing this uh, episode is because like we want to demonstrate how we're not only incredibly attractive, we are also <laughs> very smart. Uh, no, no, I think it's just like... Sometimes <clears throat> no, I think, I think it's important uh, for people our age to be aware of what's going on out there in terms of space space exploration, because even though you're not you're not super uh, fond of it, or if, let's say you're not following it a lot, it's it's something that we were we're gonna experience a lot more of in the future. There's there's gonna be we're living in an era where we're gonna see a lot of first first in space. So I think it's 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 good to like inform the the young public of this. Yeah, that, that's very well said. I agree. Like we're we're in this transitioning period where a lot is a lot is 
about to happen and it's uh yeah i think it's it's true it's important to know to be aware also because i mean this is an exciting time it's kind of the beginning of of something and it's exciting to be there during the beginning and seeing the first milestones to what may be like a, a huge change yeah absolutely i completely agree um <laughs> I think I think it's just sometimes it's even scary because people are like like it's such a scary subject because I know people think oh I'm not smart enough to know about space and everything but I mean uh, mm. like nowadays it's so accessible because there are so many books and uh, you know just papers that are explained very in a very basic way with no technicalities and podcasts and uh, and podcasts mm. so. uh, also like I forgot <laughs> do you guys want to count in to Luxembourg's favorite theme song. Oh my god, yes. Three, two, one. Cue the song. So darling, don't stand by me. Please don't stand by me. Please don't. Don't stand by me. Whenever you're infected, don't you stand? First thing I wanted to talk about is one of the most uh, important my- milestones in, uh, I guess, in the aerospace sector that, that happened very recently. Uh, well, it's not one of the most important, but it's a very important one. Um, SpaceX just um, I just performed a test, uh, one other another flight test, the third flight test uh, to. Um, be able or to yeah to be able to control a landing of a rocket. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Lorenzo. Yeah, no, that's that's right. Um, yeah. So do you wanna do you wanna talk a little bit about that about how about the importance of it? Why is it important and just the future opportunities that this uh, this kind of control and uh, this kind of technology would bring us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um... So th- this is this is really exciting stuff that they're they're doing at SpaceX. Uh, so the the analogy that is usually made to explain the, the the idea behind reusability of a rocket is imagine if you if you were taking a plane and every time you take a plane after you've landed wherever you've landed you just throw away the plane and build a new one for the next flight because that's what we're currently doing with rockets. You 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 build a rocket, you launch your your satellite or whatever payload, and after mm-hmm. after the launch the rocket just blows up. So that's obviously ridiculously inefficient. And so uh, the folks at SpaceX are trying to, to see if they can recover part of the rocket, uh, which, is, which, is, which is huge. And they, and they are doing it with the, with the Falcon 9. So they have this, this rocket uh, and the Falcon Heavy. Um, these two rockets, which they, they have been able to recover part of the rocket. But um, uh, the one that happened recently, so the, that's Starship. Um, that one is, is meant to be completely reusable and much, much, much bigger. So that's why it's it's extremely exciting. It's uh, it could potentially become something something amazing. Yeah, yeah. And if I understand correctly, they're gonna land that thing on Mars, right? And then they're gonna take off with it again from Mars. I don't know if that's is that right? Lorenzo? Yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah, eventually they want this rocket to be able to to leave from Earth and go to the Moon, land on the Moon, take off from the Moon, and same thing with Mars. They want it to be able yeah. to, go, to go to Mars and they want to be able to bring a lot of material, a lot of stuff to Mars. That's their, mm-hmm. their long-term goal, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, another thing that, that ties into that, uh, they're they're building a. Uh, this is this is something that European space is European space agency is also uh, helping out with. It's like a gateway uh, space station around the moon, and that's oh, happening. Yeah. That's happening literally like these next few years. A, a, yeah. a space station, like um, you know, the International Space Station, but around the moon. So, uh, they're gonna make the moon the kind of like the launching site to go and explore other planets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Before, I'm sorry, I mean, we're definitely going to talk about this, but before we diverge too much from the ascent and test, um, yeah. like just for the understanding of the of the listeners, um, basically this third test was the most successful one for, I think, a couple of minutes. The rocket has actually landed, uh, landed perf well, almost perfectly without exploding. But unfortunately, unfortunately, after a couple of minutes, it exploded. Yeah. So yeah. Th those of you who, who haven't seen it, go go on YouTube and watch it. It's super exciting. Um, so so the, the idea behind the launch was that the, the, the rocket would launch vertically, as, as they usually do. And then it would flip on its belly, go in a horizontal position and fall from the sky. But because of, its, because of it being horizontal in, in this sort of um, on its belly, it's, it, it slows down as it's falling. So it's kind of a controlled fall where it's falling back down towards the ground. And then a couple of hundred meters before hitting the ground, it turns itself back vertically with the engines and then does a controlled landing on the engines, which is as exciting as it sounds. So if you haven't seen it, mm -hmm. definitely go see it on YouTube. Absolutely. And on this, on this particular test, which was the third one, the first two weren't successful. I mean, they were successful in the sense that a lot of data was gathered and they were able to test the hardware, the software, see how it, how it went. But this third one was, was amazing because they, they did it. They actually landed. Uh, they, they, they flipped. It flipped around and it landed vertically and, and it was amazing. Um, but yes, as, as you said, uh, I think the problem was that uh, the, um, the landing legs failed, mm. one or more of them. So, mm. the la so the rocket landed, but it was a little bit uh, slanted because of the, of the legs. And, um, and there was a methane leak which uh, built up over time and after a few, it was after a while actually, like 10 minutes or something. Yeah. Um, he was standing there and everybody thought it was over and everyone thought it was, it was great. And then out of nowhere, it just blew up. <laughs> so if you mm. see, make sure you, you watch the landing and then you also watch uh, or skip forward a couple of minutes to make sure you watch that explosion. Oh, which is incredible mm. if you think about it because like they, like they um, succeeded in obviously the most difficult part of this huge engineering problem which is the control of the rocket and then mm -hmm. the thing that failed was just a structural kind of issue which is you know obviously still obviously incredibly complex but you yeah, know, in yeah. comparison with the controlling problem yeah. of the rocket is nothing yeah totally. um, yeah but so but, i want to play oh sorry go ahead pablo no I, I was just gonna add some a little something that that i i learned this uh i mean i'm not an engineer but i've heard that you know the in a, in an engineering project project is always uh, the weakest chain on the link that you need to be pay, pay the most attention to. You know, like you can have you always have like a succession of different things happening, and uh, if if like you can you can be able to do all the hardest things, but if if you get even if you get the easiest thing wrong, that that just like fails the whole the whole project. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's that's how engineering works. <laughs> um, but so I wanna I wanna kind of play the devil's advocate here 
And I want to ask you a question. And also, I think it's important just for the um, overall understanding of the importance of this project and the importance of these tests. So during my academic career as an engineer, I've been taught that, um, you know, it's kind of bad engineering practice to do these really large scale tests uh, that are really, really expensive, that are so destructive because, you know, uh, like they destroyed three, you know, three rockets. So I guess uh, my question is, why do you guys think these kind of tests are so important to do in such a large scale? And why uh, is it so important to actually test, you know, an actual rocket and, on, and, don't, and you know, not do any non-destructive testing? And... Yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. a very good question. Um... I mean, yeah, over the years, it, was, it used to be that, yeah, you would just build a thing and see how it went. Um, you know, the first aircraft and stuff, they would just build them and fly them and then it would crash and you build a new one. But, um, but yeah, as you say, they realized that's really expensive. So, so, and with the advance of computers and so on, we were able to, to avoid having to build it over and over and over until it works and to be able to model a lot of it. Um, and I'm sure they've, they've done that a lot at, at SpaceX. But um, I think there's two things here. I think the first thing is that, I mean, <laughs> Elon Musk just has a lot of money <laughs> and he wants to do this quick. So I think, uh, you know, you, you can model something as much as possible, but then when you build it, it's never going to be exactly the same. So you can model mm -hmm. it and, and then eventually build it and then it's still going to be a bit different. So you're still going to have to do some testing or you can just, you know, build it. <laughs> and and, and I, again, like I, I am sure they have done a lot of, a lot of testing, a lot of modeling uh, before building it. But uh, right now he's just building, like, I think they have already lined up like SN 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And they have already built parts of SN 16. Like he's already building so many. He knows he's going to keep carrying on with these tests with no, with no remorse kind of. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And, and the second thing is, uh, is that uh, what I said before? So even even if you model as much as you can, you still you still need to to build it. And something like a rocket is is a, is a, is an annoying in a way because it's a complex system, and you can't test. You know, it's hard to to not spend a lot of money. It, every test is just going to be very expensive. It's a large system. It's a complex system. It's a huge system. So you have to build it and you have to test it, and it's not going to work. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of one of the challenges of, of rockets. Mm. And I guess it's, I mean, it's, I guess it's probably the, the only way to, to, to see where you went wrong. Because uh, in a simulation, you can easily, you know, program everything to work correctly. But by building it like, the, like he's doing, he's finding out about the weaknesses, all of the weaknesses in his design um, so that he can improve on it directly. You know, I think that I mean that's what's what he's he's all about. I think Elon Musk. Yeah, no, I yeah, I completely agree with your statements. I, th I think it was just I think like I agree, and I think it was just important to you know tell them to the listeners just because it's important to underpin why these tests are so important. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think you know enough has been said about these tests. So I guess I guess my next question to you guys is. Uh, where do we go from here? So, like, this is obviously, uh, like, in 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 the world of rocket controlling, this test is amazing. But what other progress has been made in space exploration, and what are the future? What is the future in this sector? I know this is a very vague yeah. question, but I guess 
you can just talk about your favorite projects that are going on right now. Well, um, I don't know what you think. Yeah, so my, my favorite thing that's, that's happening right now is definitely, as Lorenzo mentioned earlier, the Artemis uh, project, which is a collaboration. It's, it's mainly led by NASA, uh, the, you know, the American Space Agency. Uh, but, you know, it's also a collaboration with ESA and other space agencies to get the first woman on the moon and another man on the moon by 2024. Uh, and like that's that's so soon that four years from now we'll have the first woman on the moon, um, and uh, you know the right, right now this this year the the thing that's happening they have like a a plan where something happens every year. Um, this year they would be sending a they will just be uh, correct me if I'm Lorenzo I don't remember exactly but I think they're gonna be sending a capsule uh, they're gonna be testing their the rocket that they built. Um, which is also like, I think the biggest, one of the biggest rockets ever built right now. Um, and they're going to be sending it around the moon because they, uh, the, the, the kind of goal of this whole program is not just to get us to the moon, but it's to be, to get us to the moon so that we then, we can then go to Mars because <clears throat> going to Mars is especially bringing people to Mars, um, is, is extremely hard. Um, and, uh, so if you look at their logo, uh, it's, which is like an A with, with an, with an arrow that goes up, the arrow is meant to symbolize, you know, we're going to the moon, but then it points, you know, beyond it, which means, you know, we're pointing towards Mars. I think it's really cool. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's right. And, um, the website with all of the, the planned missions and all of like the newest developments. If I can, I'm going to include this link on the description of this podcast so you can just click on it. So taking from the, you know, the economical side, you were talking about like you want to build, you know, an economy around the moon. You were saying, I mean, you were telling me just before we started recording how, and it's something I didn't know, which is so crazy that there are three countries now that have officially started to, um, well, maybe it's better if you explain it. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I can, yeah, that, that's something, uh, something else that's happening, which is that they are kind of sh- shifting from a mentality where, uh, you know, we go to space as humanity, we go to space, you know, all together to explore and whatever we, we do there and bring back from there is, you know, belongs to everyone. Um, they're moving from that to like a more uh, private sector mentality. So, for example, I was, I was telling you before, Filippo, um, NASA, so the United States, I think in 2015, and then uh, so three, yeah, three countries: the United States, Luxembourg, and I think the third one is the United, um, the United Emirates. I'm gonna Google it. They, sorry, I'm gonna Google it, and uh, I can tell you guys. Okay, they, they they came up with this with this new law where if you go to space and you gather some resources, they belong to you. So they they're no longer property of humanity, but they're now yours, and you can sell them, you can use them however you however you want, which is controversial to certain to certain extent and debatable but it is for sure a way to um to you know boost interest in in space mining what's called space mining where you know you can go to the moon and get some resources from there uh, or asteroids have some incredibly valuable um resources in huge quantities and if one was able to go there mine it and come back or do something with it that that could that could be a whole business plan so so this this kind of policy change is 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 really gonna shift the way we think about the moon. 
because in the 60s, it was really just, you know, the Cold War. It was who can get there first, but we're not really going for any particular reason. Of course, science is important and exploration, but there was no concrete objective other than beating the, the Soviets. Whereas, whereas now we could actually go, you know, for, for concrete reasons, like to have, you know, either for a business plan, if you're, if you're looking to make money, or to have proper full-on research going on there. You can have a, a research lab with some extensive plans and, uh, you know, you can stay for several years and do some, some serious testing. Mm. There's, a, there's, there's also an astronomical interest in, in the moon. And it's, I mean, astronomers have been using it uh, a lot already to study the geology of the Earth um, because the moon and the Earth are so close to each other like hydrogen three or something. I'm, I mean, I'm not a chemist, but it's like um, a type of, a really rare type of hydrogen that would be insanely useful for nuclear fusion. And so that, that's another resource, you know, that the moon has. So we're not just going, you know, for the sake of it. Yeah, we're, we're going to discover new science um, that would benefit everyone. Nuclear fusion, if you know, if that, that would definitely benefit the whole world if, if we managed to, to get it under control. So it's, yeah, I think it's super useful to go to the moon, not just because of our innate sense of discovery, but for science. I think, I think it's sort of like we're living in, in Europe in the whatever, 14th century or something. And, and you, know, uh, you know, when Christopher Columbus uh, discovered America, he took a ship and he was trying to reach India and then he just stumbled upon America. Whereas for us, it's as if we're on, we're in Europe and we know America's there because, uh, you know, the, the analogy is, you know, the other planets and the moon, we, we can see them, we know they're there, but we're just not going because we, we don't know, we don't know what's there. We don't know, we don't know the opportunity that may come from it. And if, if Europeans back then could have, could have looked at America, they probably would have thought, okay, it's just a jungle, you know, what am I going to do with it? But once they actually reached it, they realized there is, there's an, an infinite amount of resources uh, you know, just just so so much opportunity, so many things you can do, and and you know some of the some incredible countries were born out of that, and the world changed forever because of that discovery, and because of people exploring and going to America. And now the, the next frontier is is natural. It's it's just space. It's right there. We have the moon. We have Mars. We have a whole universe to to explore, and we don't even know what's out there. So it, you know, it's hard to say, let's do this because you don't really know what you're looking for. <laughs> But I think, oh, sorry, this is a bit long. You, you said in one sentence, but uh, I think, yeah, opportunity. I think yeah, there's just opportunity out there. And while it might not be completely intuitive, it's guaranteed to be there. Mm. Yeah, I like, I like what you said about the, the comparison between uh, the, the 1400s when, you know, you were sending boats out to the sea. So you're, you're comparing, you know, the, the ocean to, to space and... And we're kind of our spaceships right now. They're kind of boats sailing across space. Um, I really so I call them ships. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that. And there, there, there's an, astro an Italian astronaut, uh, you know, Luca Parmitano. He said that you know he if he was to be born before the space age, he would want to be a sailor. I don't know. That's not important to the question, but I think it's it's, it's really no, cool. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, but in my opinion, what uh, what was the question? What, why are we going to space? Uh, I, I agree with Lorenzo. Wait, I need to actually think about it. Why, why do I want to go to space? If you want, I can, I can jump in. And yeah, yeah, you go. For me, 
and then yeah, and then you you can think about it while while I talk. So basically, in my opinion, like we already talked about this and Lorenzo, it's almost a a natural consequence to just I don't know, just a natural. Uh, the human was born as an explorer, explorer, and uh, so we we are supposed to just explore and find new new opportunities, as you said, and the space is just space is here is the next is this is the next step to to explore more and find more uh, incredible you know scientific discoveries mm-hmm. and you know something that lorenzo said also i think that was correct um the definition of a human is to basically uh what do you say like turn the environment around him to his advantage and it's going to change the environment around him in his advantage so it was expect expectable and it's almost natural that we destroyed the earth like this because we are um because unfortunately it's in the nature of a human that he turns everything around him in his advantage and this is a very often parasitic way to mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. Para- yeah. Para- yeah like a parasite like yeah. a, almost like a parasite and so i guess it's almost normal that we're trying to explore more and more places we can be in also. yeah but i think um I agree. I agree that we it's inevitable that we would have turned the earth. Uh, but also another, you know, human like fucked. Uh, how do you, I mean, how would you say it? Like another human character characteristic is that we like we have we have morals. And now, you know, if we if we can uh, do things without destroying everything, uh, we, we will do it. And I think now we're getting to the point where not not doing things sustainably is more of a choice rather than we can't do it because we definitely have all the means to to become more sustainable but just like we just won't do it so we're we're now making that choice but this is not about space but anymore but um i just wanted to add that to your comment and uh, yeah no of course uh but i think going to space might be a way to become more sustainable as well towards the earth um and uh, this is i don't know if you know blue blue origin which is a uh, the rival company to SpaceX, uh, and you know, if if you ask Elon Musk why he wants to leave the Earth, why he wants to go to Mars, Elon Musk will tell you that his reason is to have, uh, let's say, a second to to decrease to decrease the chance the chances of mass extinction on Earth. He's thinking about the human species as a whole, not about his own survival. He's thinking about the survival of the human species, and he says that the the way to maximize your survival is to become an interplanetary species so that one big asteroid because it's you know we we've come close to mass extinction i mean there have been so many mass extinctions on earth already if one happens again and we're all on her on earth then you know we're we're done um so that's his reason for leaving earth but then if you ask uh, blue origin uh you know jeff bezos is the ceo of blue origin he will tell you that his idea is to leave space to go to mars um and basically only keep earth as a living quarters and then do all of other operations like producing like making products and industries like all out there in space so that we can keep the earth clean and just like for living in it and then we can do all of the rest outside and and i mean it's not sustainable for the planets but in terms of keeping the earth clean i think that's at least a step forward towards sustainability but i think it's in my opinion um 
it would have to be a kind of like in the middle thing, you know, where we like I I would still like to see some sustainability uh, on Earth without having to live and doing stuff outside. And I think going to space would be important to. We don't even know what kind of discoveries we're gonna make, but I'm sure that we're gonna make some discoveries that are gonna help us, you know, help, like make the planet into a better place. And like there have already been so many things that came out of, uh, you know, having a space station and being able to uh, experiment in zero G. There, there's just so many advantages, not just for exploration, but for science or, or like of having a presence in space. I don't have a word like Lorenzo did, but I don't know, actually, if I had to have a word, it would be advancements. I think that's, that's such an important point that you make, because a lot of people say, rightfully, they say, you know, why would we point our heads towards space and go out when we have so many problems here already? Shouldn't we first fix the problems here? And then once we, we've done that, then we, we can think about other stuff like that, which is a completely fair point. But... Um, I think there's there's two things there. So first, you know, if you're going to wait to solve all problems on Earth, then you're just going to wait forever because <laughs> there's always going to be a problem. Um, and second, which is even most, more important, is that, you know, uh, space could potentially give you solutions that you haven't even thought of, which will help you solve the problems you had in the first place. Think about when when people thought the Earth was the center of the universe. You know, your whole understanding and your whole reasoning was based around that assumption, which is wrong. And, you know, you, you, think, you think this thing and you're trying to solve the problems you have with this wrong assumption. And everything you do is, is, is wrong for that reason. And if you, if you then, they were able to realize that actually the sun is at the center and the earth is going around it, then now you have a much better understanding of physics and you can explain why things around you happen. And that mere understanding... Give, puts you in a better spot to solve any problem. You know, if we discovered something about Earth that we never knew, it might explain why global warming is happening now and, and it might give us the simplest solutions to solve it. It might bring us some new, you know, points of view. It, it could change the way we think about the problem in the first place. Mm. So, mm, yeah. So, yeah, that's important. You're right. Like, um, just to mention one of the things that already have happened thanks to space exploration, we're doing a lot of studies to do, you know, to, to monitor global warming through satellites and through space, you know, like we, you know, you know how there's like the ice caps, like, because it's, it's hard to find, I know like global warming is like a, like scientific consensus, but it's actually pretty hard to find evidence of it, of it actually happening. Uh, and like evidence that's like strong enough to, to prove it despite all other things that are happening. Cause like, you know, a lot of things could be happening for other reasons. But uh, like one big piece of evidence is like they they were studying the the ice growing and melting in in the in the ice cups, and there is this uh, kind of ice which is like really old ice. Um, <clears throat> so it's ice that's been in that form for <clears throat> many millenniums, and then there's like the new ice, the one that forms every year and then melts away again and then forms away again every year. And they've observed <clears throat> they look there are two different colors from space like one of one is more white and the other one is more bluish and they were able to observe this like really old ice is like slowly slowly melting away uh and it's normal for it to happen and then get replaced over years but now it's like completely disappearing and now the only ice that we have is almost just you know the new ice the one that and you know that that, that was one of that's one of the pieces of evidence that we have of global warming actually happening
and that was thanks to space. So we're ready. We are we're ready speaking for about forty minutes now. So maybe we should jump ahead and um, answer the questions that our listeners uh, asked us. Lorenzo, do you want to play the first one? Yes, sounds great. How likely is it that an entire human society develops on Mars to escape the consequences of global warming? Okay, this is my flatmate, by the way. Shout out to Omblin. Thank you so much for asking this question. So we kind of already discussed this in a way, but do you want to add anything else, uh, either either of you? So, well, I mean, we I, I talked earlier about how this is a, almost what Elon Musk has in mind. Well, no, it doesn't want to escape global warming, global warming but... Uh, it just wants to have a plan B, kind of. But I, I mean, seeing the, the the things that are the way things are going, I don't, I don't think that's that's likely. Like in my opinion, we have enough. Um, yeah, we do have some people that want to do that, but we have enough people, uh, enough scientists that have the you know, expertise to be able to actually uh, end global warming on Earth. So uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't see us going the direction of leaving earth to go to another planet especially because we don't really have the mean like we don't really have the means to survive on, on mars anyways so i i don't think that's very likely yeah i think uh yeah i think that's exactly it i mean if we before we can have a sustainable society self-sustaining society on mars that would take a long time so I mean, I think the if if we don't manage to solve global warming, it will probably get us before before we we are able to set up. Even if we even if we spend like more than we currently do and we focused on it, it would still take. We don't even have the technology to get there with a meaningful um, payload. I mean, the mm. rocket itself, like you know, the rockets we have now, they can take a tiny thing to to Mars, like a, like a rover. That's the best we can do right now. To, to make something that can actually transport meaningful amounts of useful material, you know, whether it's to build or even people. Um, yeah, that's that's still into the future. And uh, it's, it's not mil- millions of years in the future. It's, you know, maybe like 100 years in the future. But mm. but uh, at that point, you know, if we haven't, we can't just rely on that, I would say. I mean, that would be pretty bad <laughs> if all we rely on is to be able to escape all of us to Mars and leave Earth behind to to fall under global warming that would that would probably not work yeah Uh, yeah i think you answered very well the question i think it's also a matter of resources on mars i mean they would they discover water in mars yeah yeah well so they discovered traces of that there used to be water um and there might be water under the surface but uh, i don't know if i don't think well no there's there's, so yeah there's water in the in the ice caps in the north pole or something Mm. Mm. yeah no there there is there are underground uh, lakes in in Mars. Uh, I think that's that's been proven already. Oh, has it been proven? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. The the one of the rovers. I don't remember what the name of the rover was, but they sent it specifically to find traces of water to see whether life could have been possible. So yeah, um, we would have like we would have to. Uh, they're already working on some kind of way of getting water from from the soil of Mars, and and then they're you know working on growing potatoes like you know in the martian the movie yeah. yeah it's like that's actually a thing they're they're testing in the space station if i'm if i'm correct but like they're testing growing crops it's possible but like to have a full-on civilization and also why would you want to go away from earth earth is so it is so nice you know it is perfect temperature for us i mean we've evolved to survive here so i think 
space would be most useful as a you know as an addition to to earth rather than as a substitute yeah that's very well said very well said um yeah i think we answered the question thank you Onglin, for sending it over really really it was a really interesting question um mm -hmm. so the next question is by uh my brother yeah ciao Bipo. i have a question about it's a bit science fiction but it's about wormholes we know that uh, wormholes are uh, fairly consistent with the general theory of relativity, but even though they are mathematically and statistically likely, likely to exist, we've obviously never, never actually found one. So my question is, if we were to discover a wormhole, if scientists or space explorers or astronauts were to uh, find one, what would be the best approach to test whether humans can actually use it to travel great distances and uh, embark on uh, interstellar journeys, given that they, they are likely altering our dimensions and space-time construct. And also, could they be the key to time travel? All right. Mm. Uh, yeah, a very long question, but a super interesting one. I think maybe there's some explaining to do at first. Uh, Pablo, do you want to explain what a wormhole is and uh, just explain what it could be used for? And then you can answer the question. Yeah, so I don't know if anyone's watched the movie Interstellar. Well, I, obviously the audience can't answer this question, but have you guys seen Interstellar? If, you, yeah. if, if, the, if the listener has watched Interstellar, you should scream at the phone right now and say yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh, I could, did you hear that? I could hear someone. Yeah, I heard that. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, someone, yeah. someone say that, yeah. Nice. Okay, so it seems like a lot of people are watching Interstellar, um, but they they had, there's a pretty good explanation there. If you uh, imagine, um, obviously you can't you can't think of space time in your mind because our brains are evolved to think in three dimensions. So you can kind of visualize it in two dimensions. So if you visualize space time as like a sheet of paper, that that's like a two dimensional visualization of space time. And then you have one point at each end of the piece of paper. When you when you fold it and you make those two points meet, that's basically what a wormhole does. It connects two points, two different points in on the uh, space-time plane, uh, and it makes them like connected, you know, in the same in the same point. So you can travel across space and time like instantly. And I said I talked about interstellar because they this is the explanation that they give in the movie to explain what a worm, wormhole is. Um, so basically, yeah, like what would be possible is it you'd be able to go through, because space-time isn't just like space, it's also like time. So you'd be able to go from one place in space-time to another place in space-time. And I don't know if you can have any control over where you go. Like I know that to make a wormhole, like for us to actually make one, it will take more energy than there is energy in, in the visible universe. Like it, it's an insane amount of energy. So I don't know if you could control where we're going, but yeah, it will technically take you to another place in space and time. So time travel will technically be possible with it. But you know, this is assuming that Einstein was right, which so far he's been. So I don't know, maybe you guys want to add something to it? Yeah, um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I guess there's a lot of answer, a lot of questions to answer before you can answer that question. Um, yeah, what happens if you go through a wormhole? Where, where do you go? What happens to you? Do you change in ways or yeah, what, what, you know, what exactly happens? We don't even know that. 
Mm. But, but I guess the question is, if we did find one, what would be the best way to get there? And uh, yeah, that's, that's tricky too, because um, yeah, I mean, these, if we haven't found them either because we don't know how to look for them or because they're really far. And if they're really far, then actually getting to them could take, could take ridiculous amounts of time, at least with our technology today. So even if we did find one, reaching it <laughs> could be the, a, a huge problem by itself. So mm. um, yeah, I don't know, that, that, that's a good question. I mean, you'd need the technology we don't currently have to travel these enormous distances. I mean, you'd be, you know, you, you could easily, easily be dead just mm. out of dying of old age before you get anywhere interesting in the, in the solar system. So or just outside of it. So yeah, yeah, it's an interesting question because even if we do find them and we find something really useful and we can travel half across the universe just by using a wormhole, can we even get there in the first place? <laughs> right. Yeah, That's well, if we let's say like in interstellar, a wormhole would be would materialize in our solar system. Like, you know, in interstellar, it, it appears next to Saturn. Then I, I think, I'm not sure, but I, I remember Neil deGrasse Tyson answering this same question in, one, in a podcast that I listened to. And he was saying that it's as simple as just going through it. Like, it's not going to, you, you just go through it, and then you're on the other side, like in Interstellar. Like, Interstellar is actually quite a accurate, you know, theoretical representation of a wormhole. So, I mean, I'm not really, I'm, I don't know a, a lot about it. So, does it mean if you go through, if you go through it, does it mean, so you end up in a different position in space, but does it mean also you end up in a different position in time? How does it work exactly? Like, I'm, I'm, you might have already said it, I'm sorry. Yeah, you you, uh, you would end up in, an, like, you need to think of uh, space and time are in, intertwined. They're, they're the same, they're the same thing, kind of, or they, they are depend, codependent on each other. So if you were to go through it, yeah, I think you would just end up in another place, both in space and time. But at the end of the day, like time really depends also on like the flow of time also depends on around what bodies you are and like how close to your sun you are. So, you know, yeah, that, that's one of the big problems of like interstellar travel because how, you know, there is no one framework of there's no one reference framework of time. So like technically everywhere that you go, you're in different different place in time. <laughs> like, you know, if, if you get on a plane and you go and you like go in the sky, then time flows a bit slower for you. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, this is getting, but yeah, you will be in a different place in time as well. No, but it was interesting the way you responded. Like the, the example you gave is true. I mean, even if you go up on a mountain, in theory, time, uh, runs uh, differently from somebody that is at sea level. You know, obviously the difference is minimal. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, it, it's there. Yeah. Um, uh, that's cool. I think. I mean, we. I don't know if we answered the question, but we definitely discussed about it because it's difficult to answer such a complex question. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think we can confident confidently move on to the next question. What do you think? I I think I I'm confident. Yes. To move on. Okay. Good. Okay. Since you are, we can. Okay. Here we go. Hello, I have a question about a recent statement made by Elon Musk. Um, what do you think about his idea to launch nuclear weapons on Mars to make him more um, Earth-like? Okay, um, yeah, that, that's a good question. That's a, that, that's a good question. Elon Musk did say that. He said, um, you know, if we went to Mars right now, there's, the atmosphere is not breathable and the conditions aren't good for us. So we'd have to build huts and live in them. 
um, which is annoying and you have, you have to wear a helmet every time you go outside. So he was saying, okay, let's just, you know, let's just um, create an artificial global warming to develop an atmosphere and make it Earth-like. So yeah, terraform Mars, make it more, more like Earth. Um, and he was proposing to do this by, by nuking it. So yeah, by thro throwing, you know, thermonuclear weapons <laughs> and uh, thickening the atmosphere. And then that would, t t theoretically speaking, that, that would work. Yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> I think that's uh, as as fun as it sounds. I, I don't think that's the good way to do it. You you if you were if you wanted to terraform Mars, you would you would do it. Yeah, in a in a in a, in a much. I mean, it would take forever, but you you would have to emit you know gases over time, and it would slowly build up in the atmosphere. And over a very long period of time, you could get an atmosphere similar to what we have on on Earth. Uh, but the problem with nuking it is that after you've successfully thicken the atmosphere you now have ridiculous amounts of radiation <laughs> all over the planet that would take centuries to decade and so even if you even if you have a decent atmosphere you you couldn't live there for for very long times so so as fun as the idea might might sound um yeah i don't think it's a it's a particularly good idea <laughs> i think it was more of a, of a joke yeah i think he was just saying it like he didn't do it was just on on the top of his head you know it was just kind of thinking out loud he didn't he there's no scientific backing to to his idea like at least he hasn't i i don't think he he thought about it or thought it through like properly you know he was just saying it yeah 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 i think it, i'm not sure if that's where he said it for the first time but I, I remember seeing an interview with him where they asked him this and he sort of said yeah to terraform mars you can do it the good way or the bad way um <laughs> and the, the bad way is to is to use uh, nuclear weapons and blow the whole thing up so so yeah, I think it came out as as more of a sort of a, like you know, let's think about it kind of joke statement, mm. yeah, intellectual joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess yeah. I think that answers the question. I think there are so many. There would be so many implications to uh, by when you throw if you throw <laughs> nuclear weapons to a planet, like you would have to control all these implications. I mean, I guess maybe yeah, global warming would you know create the global warming would work maybe but then all the other problems that you caused yeah. he would have to fix them somehow um so yeah so no but it, it's a very interesting topic to talk about so yeah we i guess we answered it you wanna do you have another question How many we, questions we yeah have? we do have another question okay we cool have, is it the last one uh we have yes we have one last question okay let's do it hi philo it's so nice to be on your podcast thank you for having me my question has to do with time i know that we live in three dimensions and time is the fourth one if time originated from the big bang is it possible to say that time has a beginning and my second question is that if big bang is where time originated what was there before thank you so much thank you so much for answer, for asking this question elena a uh, shout out who wants to answer first um i think pablo is probably more like better at answering this question but i can just say one thing i know which is that uh, the concept of time itself uh, i mean at least uh, according to our theory of the big bang um says that time originates with the big bang mm -hmm. so that is where time came into existence mm -hmm. so to ask what was before the big bang actually doesn't uh, it's actually not not a question you can ask it's a it's a it's a it's a question that can't be asked like a it doesn't make sense in the sense that there's nothing before the Big Bang. It, it wouldn't be possible to think of a time before the Big Bang because there was no time at that point. Mm -hmm. So you, you can think of time as of after the Big Bang. Anything before it, you, 
you can't even question what's there because there is no time then. <laughs> if that makes yeah, sense. there's no chronological time is what makes chronological order make sense. Like before, like the statement before, you know, implies that there is time, right? But yeah, you, so you, you can't really say before the bang because there's no before. As you said, yeah, I'm just repeating what you said pretty much. I guess you answered the, the second question in yes, detail. Exactly. So uh, I suppose the answer to the first question, which is whether time has a beginning, um, I, I guess the answer is yes. Yes, the time does have a beginning and it is, a, the Big Bang is a theory, you know, the, the, it's the, the most widely accepted theory and it, it is not physically proved, um, but it, it is also not physically disproved. And it is the most, the most um, uh, reliable, like the most believable and logical theory we have as of now. And if, if that theory is correct, then time has a beginning at the Big Bang. Mm. Otherwise, who knows? <laughs> and there is a, a, a this, is, this is another theory, but there is a theory for what there could have been, you know, prior or how, how would I say? Yeah, like, you know, what could have originated uh, the Big Bang. And uh, it's, it's, it's not really accepted scientific theory but it's basically um it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it but if you can imagine like um like nothingness right so if imagine um the number zero is like you can imagine it as being one minus one so something like and then you subtract the same kind of thing to it and it's zero so a theory is that like there was nothing but nothing in a sense that there was things that uh, overall would kind of counsel each other to nothing. And there, there is like like these little bubbles of stuff happening. And then it will quickly like decay to nothing. And then there was like the complete opposite thing happening on the other side of, of like an imaginary plane. And everything would just kind of cancel out to nothing. And the Big Bang is thought to be like an anomaly of this uh, of this state where something happened and it just it just keeps up it just kept happening but that means that there must be another there must be something else in the universe that's completely the opposite so that if you sum everything up it's technically still zero like we're technically still nothing we're just like i don't know it's 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 just an i just read it on a book and i thought it was really interesting i guess that brings us back to you know to to the point where we don't even know so much there's still so many questions we have about the very basic like understanding of what happens around us and how things happen mm -hmm. and there's just so much so much like uh, yeah opportunity to to discover and rediscover mm -hmm. but there's this theory expand on the on the answer of the question so there's this theory um it's a theoretical like uh, assumption there's nothing really anything proven or anything uh, i think it's called the big bubble i'm not i'm not entirely sure sure I should double-check that. I might edit it out and add it now. Hello, this is Philo from the future, and the theory I'm talking about is called the Big Crunch. Not the Big Bubble, you stupid idiot. I'm talking about my past self. <laughs> so, basically, it's a, it's a theory that says the, there's, there have been many Big Bangs in, in history, and there have been... Oh, yeah. And there's always... And it basically, so there's a big bang that uh, kind of creates the universe. The universe expands, expands, expands until it reaches a maximum. And then it implodes and goes back to being nothing. 
and then right after that it re-explodes again and re and the universe restarts again and it just like it goes back and forth back and forth mm. and i mean of course this also this doesn't ask uh, answer the question then what is outside the universe and why does it reach a maximum you know like it's uh so i i, it's, I can probably like, answer sorry. i can probably give a little bit more detail to to your answer yeah yeah like when you when you look at the uh the universe the universe's expansion is kind of fundamentally governed by by two forces like two fundamental well there are five fundamental forces but the ones that kind of play a big role in the in the grand scheme of things are the force of gravity and we really we know we we know a lot about gravity although we still don't understand a lot of it especially at a quantum scale like at a really small scale and then there is another force which we know nothing about but it's this like dark energy and dark matter and when you it was observed that the universe is expanding so it was always thought that you know gravity brings things things together and gravity like a gravitational field is kind of it goes off to infinite so it's you're technically always pulling something towards you so if you think about it the universe is supposed to be coming together like slowly slowly contracting but that's that's not what was what is observed what we observe is like an expansion so that means that there must be another force that's working against gravity that is expanding the universe rather than contracting it so what you said about the big crunch like from these forces there is a depending on what relation these forces have so there are three different outcomes that the universe can have uh, one of them is what you said, the big crunch, which is, you know, the universe is going to keep expanding until the distances, because we don't know what this third force, how it works. So it might be that eventually the distances between things become too big and the force of gravity becomes that, that becomes slightly stronger than the other force and it prevails and it brings back everything together. And then another, and then everything crunches into a tiny point, and it explodes again, creating enough force to expand again. That's one of the different ways the universe can end or start. Another way would be the this dark energy wins, and it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding until even the atoms themselves like break apart, and uh, that's called like the big rip. You know, it just the whole universe gets ripped to shreds. <laughs> Or uh, the third one is that they become equal, and then we will have something known as the heat death of the universe. So everything just like becomes stale. There is no expansion anymore. So life will go on, kind of like as we know it. But eventually, in a, many many years, everything will reach an equilibrium. There will be no energy moving from uh, a higher energy state to lower energy state, because you know eventually everything would be at the same energy state, the same temperature everywhere. And that means, you know, if there's no energy exchange, there's, there's nothing happening. Like, you know, the whole reason why we live is because we take energy from food and then we move around and we give energy off to the universe. But if there's none of this, then everything just stops and there's like nothing just happens anymore. This would mean that entropy is zero everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a very interesting and, and, one. I think there was a YouTube time, uh, like a huge YouTube time lapse that was explaining 
you know, like the, the uh, a theorized life of the universe. And that's exactly what happened in billions and billions and billions of years. Like the entropy is zero, so mm. nothing happens. And entropy being zero means that time doesn't exist. Like time, time is pretty much the flow of of the flow of chaos, the flow of entropy. So if there's no entropy, there is no time, and technically, yeah, like nothing exists really. Crazy, damn, mind blow. Good stuff. I think maybe this is a a nice way to end this episode because because we've been speaking for more than an hour now. So maybe yeah, what do you think? agreed. Yeah, this uh, ends on a philosophical note. <laughs> philosophical <laughs> note. So what is uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, well, guys, thank you so much. Honestly, it has been open-minding. I mean, open-minding? Mind Mind-opening. Mm-hmm. What am I saying? Yes. <laughs> open-minding, that's funny. Uh, and um, no, I, I, honestly, I learned so much today. <laughs> like, I, I heard some stuff that I really didn't know about. And uh, I think, like, there's so much more to talk about. So... I think it is almost required that we do. A yeah, yeah, I can, I can hear them. And, uh, and maybe... I can hear them asking us for a second part already. <laughs> yeah, right. I think they're screaming at the phone right now. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and uh, I hope you have a good Sunday because it's Sunday today. Well, Philo, thank you so much for having us. This was this was so much fun, and uh, the questions were were so interesting, and we had such a lovely discussion. Mm. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for for having us. Yeah, thank us. you, Filippo. <laughs> All right, bye, guys. Bye, bye. Bye, 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 Philo. Bye-bye. Bye.